Welcome back. Oh, sorry. I was I was catching a, a brief little nap between episodes. How are you doing, yeah. Dan? Uh, I don't know. I didn't want to wake you, but, you know, we hit a fucking iceberg. And there's two oh. feet of standing water in our podcasting room. I was wondering what, what that was. Uh-huh. I was wondering what that was because I woke your up and, like, still water was eclipsing bed. my nose. And I was like, what's happening here? Your, your feet are still on the bed. You don't know it yet, but um, you're going to have to go swimming to get to the exit. I thought someone had just left the sink on. Which one of us would have left the sink on? It's okay, Dan. You don't have to out yourself like that. Um, no, I'm not the forgetful We're back one. at it, folks. We're picking up exactly where we just left off. So, without further ado, let's throttle Journey the hell on. right into this next part like the Titanic throttled into that iceberg. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I'm glad all the survivors are dead. Otherwise, this might have been offensive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Quote of the century, folks. Dan, I'm glad all the survivors of the Titanic are dead. <laughs> Dan, by any chance were you involved in the sinking of the Titanic? You can be honest. It ran directly into me and hit my ass. <laughs> okay, Bo and Yang, relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this discussion of Titanic. So on that note... I guess there was a production for us to talk about. Might as well clear it out of the way real quick. <laughs> quick? <laughs> oh, yeah, just, um, won't take us all too long, do you think? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, we just touch on a couple things. Very come-and-go production, you know? Nothing really, didn't really uh, assert itself too much, I don't think. It let the material take center st- <laughs> <laughs> If there's anything this production was, it was understated. So this production was directed by Richard Jones. Who is an opera British director. theater director, of which you go, of course. Opera director, which you also go, of course. It, it, I should also note, they auditioned for a number of directors. One of our favorite directors How- came to Maury Eston's house, drank two bottles of wine, and then said, I have no fucking clue how you staged this. And that man's name was Trevor Nunn. <laughs> well... At least for once in his life, he knew not to get himself into something. I mean, you couldn't have said that after the first bottle. <laughs> you knew you couldn't, you, you knew you had no clue how to stage that. It, like, maybe a glass or two in, you heard some of the score. I really, I'm out of my depth here. No, he stayed I, for an I, entire two bottles of wine. And then, I, I don't know. Uh, I imagine just like, I imagine the conversation just being like, Yeston being like, so, uh, just a moment of silence, maybe a cart rolling across. How do you think we do that? And Trevor Nunn going, hey, would you tell me up real quick? Would you, I'm just running a bit, tell me up just for a second. Just, just pushing the conversation off for like three hours. That is apparently not far from the truth. What it was. <laughs> Very close uh, At least he knows how to get his money's worth out of this trip. <laughs> anyway. So, this was directed by Richard Jones. Yes, it was. Who had never directed a Broadway musical. Mm. And... Um, not a Broadway musical, but he had directed uh, the original West End production of Into the Woods with the most fucking terrifying wolf you've ever seen. Did he direct that? Yeah. I didn't know That's that. him. Uh, he's done yep. a lot of opera. 
Yes, yes. And he was known for saying that in previews he would start at the top of the show and fix all those problems, and he was not going to work out of order. So okay. <laughs> they got to the first preview and the ship wouldn't sink. And famously, Bruce Valanche, beloved personality, TV uh-huh. writer. Yeah. Big Broadway fan. Wit. Uh, and a Broadway musical writer of his own. Yes. He sat at that first preview and they stopped the show because the set wouldn't move. And he turned and he said, it's the Titanic and it's not going to sink. That's novel. <laughs> Didn't expect that one. <laughs> um, Ugh. David Letterman also was known at the time for doing a nightly report of if the Titanic actually sank that night. <laughs> That's so funny. Ladies and gentlemen, the Titanic did not sink tonight. By the way, when Titanic the musical was announced, uh, the newspaper headline in a bitchy newspaper read, All singing, all dancing, all drowning. Oi. But they were not getting good press because ship wasn't sinking. And his approach to that was, that's the end of the show. I'll get there when I get there. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's fucking stupid. It, he thought, eh it doesn't sink tonight it doesn't sink tonight uh i'm not working out of order i need to fix earlier parts of the show first and then i will fix the ship when we get there but until then i don't care <sighs> wow and he told maury Estin several times when he wrote new music and new pieces he was like i don't have time to stage that great let's use it i don't have time to stage that um i don't know figure it out that's a that's not a good directing thing. Well, it's not that he's a bad director. It's that he's a bad director for a new Broadway musical. Apparently. <laughs> not good for a piece that's constantly changing, constantly shifting. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Not something where you need to be on the money. Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's a major technical hurdle, let's deal with that first. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we're not embarrassing ourselves in public so much. But nope, I'll fix it when I fix it. I'm working in order. So this production cost... Not the next one. This original Broadway production cost $10 million in 1997 money. Uh, inflation calculator huh. puts that at about... Eight, $317 million. No, $17 million nowadays. Oh, okay, I was close. <laughs> And I first want to point out the ending of the show. The stage does tilt. Um, they created a tilt. It could tilt up to 45 degrees. Equity mandated mm. that you cannot tilt that more than 33 degrees for the safety of the actors. And this is the point I want to make about Titanic. Much was made about this hydraulic lift and the fact that they could tilt the stage. Hydraulic lifts are extremely common now they became mm. quite common after titanic titanic though was the first show that used such lifts under the stage and mm-hmm. a decade later the technology would be in much better shape 
and they wouldn't have as many issues and they'd know how to properly tech it and it would probably be cheaper. In 1997, the entire budget is going into this hydraulic lift. And so once you spend all of your budget on the lift, um, what is left is apparently not much because a lot of this show looks real cheap. Yeah, you're right. Can can we talk about those dining hall sets real quick? There is one piece that I like. It is the first class dining room, and above them is basically a forced perspective ceiling that has um, some ornate crown molding on it that I really thought was attractive. Otherwise, go ahead. I was actually going to say that was the part that felt the most sort of bare to me, because other than that forced perspective drop, it's what just a table well all the dining rooms were just a table yeah because it was all pretty much the same or similar drops i did like the smoking room the first class smoking room that they had that ended up having the big finale number in mm-hmm. where the piano and all the girls fell i liked that set quite a lot i did like that opening image of just like you know the boarding um staircase mm-hmm I thought it was a very clear, very operatic uh, image um, that I really enjoyed. Uh, Uh, And then that corny, corny drop came down of, like, the rest of the hull, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, they turn around, (laughs) and they're looking at a drop that has the rest of the ship and then is blue on the... That was not. I will say, the first sign something is wrong, at least visually... You yeah. have in every age, mankind attempts to fabricate both. And and he's holding this model Titanic. That's fine because he's in front of a drop of prints. No, but that's the moment you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in front of these prints, and it's like he's made a model ship before he's going to make the actual ship. And the drop yeah. starts to go up, and you're hearing the orchestra swell. And God, everybody is ready to give the ship entrance applause, and the curtain goes up, and there's no ship. <laughs> it's the staircase. It's just that. It's a staircase that says White Star Line. And I'm sorry, even the ship didn't have to be in full perspective, but that moment, you need to put some kind of sizable, realistic ship. You can put it right at the back of the stage. It doesn't even have to be 2D. You need to have people viewing the ship, and if they had it, the ship would have got entrance applause, and you would have gotten a lot more goodwill from the audience. Yeah. It's 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 all harkening back to that thing about like you know how a theatrical truth can be more important than a dramatic truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And they don't even attempt well there is one attempt to show the ship in full scale. <sighs> <laughs> is that so? <sighs> Talk now. So we're talking about this Act 1 finale? Yep. All right. Thank you for giving me uh, permission to do this. The act, the first act ends with, for me, what was genuinely... W- w- coming up to the ending is genuinely one of the most impactful design moments of this entire show. You have three levels going on concurrently. Mm-hmm. And you have this person on the outlook sort of coming down 
from a fly like fucking gorgeous. Cheetah Rivera. Gorgeous. Most gorgeous design moment in this show. I thought that was sincerely, like, devastatingly jaw-dropping. Mm-hmm. And then that moment goes, and he yells, Iceberg, dead ahead. And it all lifts up. <laughs> and there's, like, a ten-foot-long model of No, no, no way was it ten-foot-long. How long was it? Like, five foot? At very most. It was, like... No, honestly, it was, like, a three-foot... It was, like, a three-foot-long model. Like, a toy Titanic. Just on the back wall. Starting in the middle and just slowly moving stage left. And... And when it goes off stage, you hear a crash. (laughs) I've never, never, ever, ever seen something so pathetic. Look. I stopped counting about a decade ago when I had seen some 200 shows in person or 200 performances in person. I, that was a decade ago. I am well fucking past that. I I usually go to the theater uh, 50 times a year. Never in my life have I seen and never in my life will I have seen something as tacky (laughs) as that toy Titanic. Wow. Toy-tanic. The Toy-tanic. The Toy-tanic. I mean, just... It literally got guffaws from the audience I was in on tour. When I saw it on tour. Uh, it just... There was some noise looked. in the audience here. <clears throat> there was one person that... Oh! It was like he was gasping or something. <laughs> I think it might have been... That might have just been like a rep- an attempt to repress a, like a laugh. Like, you know... Ah! Like, you know, just muffling your mouth. Possibly. And when I said earlier you needed to physically represent the Titanic, I mean, the Titanic should have taken up the entire back wall. Yeah. Titanic that ends Act 1. What were you thinking? It's, like, that is one of the most hilarious things I've seen. The most significant... That's a fall from grace. That is a 100 to 0. You have an impeccable feat of theatrical design. And then you move all that out of the way to show a toy tanic. <laughs> Look, listener, if you have decided to listen to this episode without watching, you know, a video recording, I do absolutely stress that you must at least go onto YouTube and search up Titanic Act 1 Finale. The first clip will show you this boat. And you will see how deeply funny this is. You need to see this in order to understand what this production was like altogether. Not altogether, but what this production leaves you with. Why don't... I can't. Why do you even attempt that? I mean, you have the... You have the instrumental ending the act. Is it not then... I don't know, put a bunch of heavy overhead light on everybody on stage. You know? Yeah. Have that... Maybe try something abstract. Have that be the moment. Or, yeah, something completely abstract, or even just drop a drop with the iceberg on it, and that's the entire drop. Look at this iceberg. The iceberg's enveloping the entire stage. And have that be your intermission curtain. What? I... What was the thought process behind, let's create Toy-tanic and Toy... 
I honestly don't know how that's the thing that you settle on. Like no, I don't know no, that no, no. I don't know why that's what you end. That's the that's the solution you end with. And you don't, people are going to sit idea there you for go, fifteen no, minutes with Toy Tannic in their head during intermission. Like that's what you're Hilarity. leaving them Hilarity. to think about. I, it it painful. just it boggles the brain. Painful. painful. And you know what? Never. <laughs> We're about halfway through the set. Never have we discussed a set more. But then you're dealing with the Titanic and there are pictures. And I mean, at this point, we've seen the James Cameron. Well, some of us have seen the James Cameron movie and the what movie, the James Cameron movie, uh, the what? Go on. We have an idea of what the Titanic looks like. It's a visual iconography. Do not try and better represent that iconography in some way. It's a hard bargain. It really is a hard bargain. The other piece that I think was one of the things that I remembered, it's one of the few things I thought worked, it was the forced perspective drop where people were leaning out over the railing and looking into the audience as if the audience is the water. That I like yeah. because of how abstract it was. But everything else just felt like a cheap summer stock drop. Yeah. Like, think about that one drop with all the portholes, you know? Yeah. That one, that was ridiculous. You know, honestly, you know what? You know what one drop I love the most? What? The staircase scene. That one I really thought, I, I really enjoyed that decision as a directing choice. What staircase scene? Where uh, everyone is peering over the staircase. That's what I just talked about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't listen to you. Clearly. Yeah. I just figured you talked about it for way too long, so I figured, hey, I'll make it succinct. He'll delete it. Sure. I'm going to delete me. That's something you're, known, you're want to do. Delete me. Delete your own talking for something more concise. The good part. <laughs> the good part. Wow. Wow. We're we're dealing blows tonight. <laughs> I am the iceberg. <laughs> Sorry? I am the iceberg. <laughs> That's right. That is wow, right. Wow, a gypsy reference. We haven't had that in a while. So this production, you know what um, else was missing? And I know they had it, and I know they cut it, but we didn't see a single fucking lifeboat. Everybody! That's true! Everybody did they, did they have lifeboats? <laughs> yeah, I told you, the 40-page scene that was cut was people getting in lifeboats. Oh, sure. Well, I figured it was just still on, like, the deck of the ship, and that you were just staying there for fucking 40 minutes. No, they had them in various stages of lowering. And the captain okay. had a megaphone, and he was coming out of that porthole thing that you just talked about and yelling orders and maury Eston said it looks like captain ej smith was porky the pig that's all folks i do think like like you know there were a lot of moments where it tried to imply that there was something just off stage you know uh-huh. yeah with which with as ornate of a set as you're gonna give us that's gonna be a uh, tough uh a tough sell I mean, there was not a single lifeboat, and it was really very bold-faced, like, this is a problem during We'll Meet Tomorrow, because, God, was that static. Yeah. They kind of just stood there, and, oh, we have these two groups, and we'll meet tomorrow, bye, and none of them are moving. See ya. And, yeah, that's... 
a set issue, but that's also a director's issue. You couldn't find better staging for that number. Yeah. Literally just lowering one lifeboat. Figuring out how to lower one lifeboat, at least. Pull no, you, pull Phantom of the Opera. Have a little remote boat that you're that your people sit in and takes you from stage right to stage left wings. <laughs> they had a remote boat that was Toytanic. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Look how well that did. <laughs> and it, it, that was a very flat staging moment. Um, oh, this is something I need to add right now because I didn't get it in in the score section. Uh, sail on, sail on, Godspeed, Titanic. That song really captured the majesty of the ship. I thought that was a very nice yeah. moment of the score because for the first time you were able to understand the full um, breadth and grandiosity. And it's great that that's in the right. score because it wasn't on stage in the set. Yeah. It's a lot of legwork being done. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say about this production? It's up. It, it takes a lot of inspiration from operatic stagings. You know, big empty spaces with one large central set piece. There are some really brilliant coup de theatres. Such as? Oh, well, such as the... The three-level. Three-layered set. Uh, yeah, the three-level set. There are some really, really interesting sort of stage tricks, like the cart rolling from stage right to stage left. Mm -hmm. Like this, you know, scrim going from the bottom to the top to indicate the Titanic sinking into the water oh that mr andrew's vision scene yes yeah that's that's it yeah that um the staircase bit as well but then you have that up against something like a dining room where it's just a forced perspective drop in a table or a drop where it's just black and white with a bunch of portholes or a drop where it looks like the deck of the ship goes up at like a 50 degree angle no, and it looked like the first-class dining room was at the exact same table as the third-class dining room. Yeah. there. I couldn't tell much of a difference other than, oh, there's more people here and it's a little bit more... Maybe now they're on benches instead of chairs. Right. Yeah. That was about the only difference, which I did not think worked. I mean, it's a question of budget, and... They had $10 million, which was an astronomical amount uh, in 1997. $17 million today is mm -hmm. still a high amount. Um, yeah. But the budget wasn't big enough. And I don't think this show recouped, though, still. I mean, I, wouldn't be I, was, surprised. I, I was watching the bootleg, and I was thinking how to really honor the piece is to make some kind of TV movie out of it because you can't make a full movie after the James Cameron thing, but a TV yeah. movie, maybe some combination live TV musical I... and no, pre-taped no, 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 event, no, 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 no. but getting real sets. Well, I don't... I think do it at an opera house. Do it with an opera company. I think the material is a little beneath them, maybe. Even material as brilliant as Maury Estes. I think Titanic, a new musical, might be a little bit beneath an opera company, but I think that's how you do it. You know, a huge ensemble, a huge space, the ability to go full-on lavish with the sets. I think yeah, but even... I mean, you even think back to the New York City opera that used to do musicals, and actually, 
That's exactly where Titanic would have been revived in New York, uh, but they yeah. don't exist anymore. You think about their Little Night music. As much as that was a great production, it was nowhere near the scale of the original. Right. Like, even at opera companies, I don't know if you can get the scale needed. Would be interesting to be worth a try if someone has when money I watched, to burn. But... When I watched um, the Met production of... The most me- recent Met production of uh, Porky and Bess... That's a unit set. Yeah, and I think Titanic can be. I don't think it can be. I reject that. I Because, I mean, every production since. As much as we say this budget isn't big enough, this is as big as Titanic has ever gotten. And it's been reducing it and reducing it since. And there's a second version of the show that has less actors and less musicians. And I don't like the unit set. What I've seen. I just think you can have so one far. huge Titanic, you know, like like not to skimp down or to diminish it or anything, like to have one big, huge, almost to not to scale, but like appearing to be to a relative scale of the Titanic, you know. You don't think that would be boring? Well, I don't know if if you're able to give the impression of enough spaces. You know how that um, drop came down in Porgy and Bess, and you were on the docks. Yeah. Maybe something along that line to give the impression that you're on the dock of a ship during some of those outdoor moments. Like, you know, maybe it's just a drop that looks like the sea and and it's just like the sky. And in front of that is like the little um, railing on the dock. Yeah. You have that Titanic unit set able to go forward and backward. You push it back. You bring the drop down. You're there. Maybe. (sighs) Maybe. I don't know. Ah, yourself. I don't know. A lot of the unit sets, it's a series of gangways and scaffolding. I think that's what they did in Toronto when they did this show. And... Yep. I I just, I find that boring. So, I guess the question comes around to, all things being equal, is this a good or a bad production? I think... Or not all things being equal, but you take the pluses and you take the minuses and you take the amounts of each and you do some mathing. Your overall opinion. I think it overall levels out to a just about good production. I guess if you like, you really stack it up, you put it on the scales of justice. You gotta squint, but it's leaning on the good side. What's corny is pretty corny. But it doesn't exactly completely ruin the show for you, other than the act one finale. Nothing else there really ruins it for you. You're just sort of like, okay, this is cheap, this is tacky. Do No Harm is one thing, but does it present the material in a positive light? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you look at it and go, okay, this feels a bit cheap. But I think what is beautiful about the production elevates the material, and what is corny leaves the material to defend itself. I, I just think, I think I think it's pretty inept, honestly. Um, absent the toy Tannic, I can't forgive how static we'll meet tomorrow is. That's what it comes down to for me. I look, I, I I could understand that moment as like, just a moment of like stoic bravery facing death. 
But it isn't just that moment. You know there were large parts of the show that were completely static visually. Yeah. We had the first class dining room scene, and I believe, I'm remembering correctly, they presented three successive nights in the first class dining room, and nobody moved, and there was no visual demarcation between the three nights, other than, I believe, someone screaming, Second night, Titanic! Uh... Uh, there were just other moments where you stood and you did nothing. And I don't know. I don't know. Just a little too much park and bark, especially for the subject matter. I can understand that. I don't think the production necessarily harms the material, but I don't think it does anything that is... Well, it has its moments. I don't think there are enough positive moments to say that it helped the show significantly. I, 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 I think what worked helped the show and what didn't just came and went. The tour was honestly the third show I had ever seen in my life, and I will tell you, Toy Tannic was what stayed with you. Yeah, okay, fair enough. If that's the impression that you leave with, then that's pretty <laughs> that's, damn... Uh, I even asked... That's pretty... I went with my father, and I asked him, what do you remember about Titanic when we went to see it? And he said, there was a fucking toy boat that ran across the stage, and it was cheap, and it was tacky. So it wasn't just me. Yeah. <laughs> that is what stuck with you. That's a damn shame. And... Well, to bridge the production and the performances a bit, I do have to say the one thing that is truly, unquestionably, in any sense of the word, excellent here is the music direction. Sure. This is, it's not even close, this is the best music direction we have seen on a musical on this podcast. Better than, uh, I know we raved about this exuberant conductor in Evita. Yeah, much better than that. What does it for you? It's the component like moments. What shines? It is well it, it, there's a decent amount of choral singing in the show. They are perfectly blended. And not only are they perfectly blended, every entrance is exactly together. I noticed one cutoff that wasn't together and that is me saying i noticed the one because every single other cut off the cast cut off at the exact same time hmm. and it's not only that choral singing great balance uh perfect entrances and cutoffs everyone seemed completely confident in the music they were not lost for a second i mean you get some shows where the person is singing the right note, but you can sense they're not 100% sure what the note is. They're hitting it by accident. Not even close to happening here. Every person in the cast intimately knows every note of that score. And beyond that, the orchestral playing. There's not the slightest bit of phasing. Once again, perfectly balanced. Perfect dynamics. Um, 
perfect interplay between the cast and the orchestra. Some of this is uh, sound design, but still the cast is perfectly in sync with the orchestra. Every single person in the orchestra is hitting the exact notes, um, which we have noted before. I think there was a sub on because this flute playing sucked. I think we said that on Guys and Dolls. And if there was a sub yeah. in that night, God damn it, they knew exactly what their part was mm-hmm. and they did it perfectly. There was not a single wrong note from the entire cast, the entire orchestra. There was not a single missed entrance. There was not a single um, note that was really out of tune. Everything was impeccably in tune. Uh, perfect overtone series. I could go on, but the basic point here is if i had to point to this is what music direction should be you'd point to this at its most idyllic this is what music direction should accomplish really well said do you have anything to add (laughs) no fucking of course not i don't go into i I, i'm not as in-depth as you are with this You, you i have nothing to add you said it all did you notice the music direction I thought it was very well musically directed. I figured I, I, I wasn't even aware as much that it was the pit as much as it was just the fact that it was a Maury Esten score. I feel like to some extent Maury Esten's work almost heightens a pit at times. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This was firing on all cylinders. Um, and it's not just the pit as well. It's the music direction of the ensemble because... Wow, it, 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 as much as the production felt operatic, this felt uh, like it has the precision and the excellence of an opera company. Well, and the cast, every person has one or two lines that they sing on their own, and there's 40 people in the cast. You would think you're bound to get one or two people that can't sing, and that isn't the case. Every person really sounded like they could sing. Yeah, decent uh, casting director, evidently. Well, decent casting director and whether or not they every person in the cast actually is the best vocalist the music director made them sound like they were the best vocalist which is their job and we should mention the music director here is kevin stites thanks kev and also in the cast is ted sperling who went on to music direct all those musicals at lincoln center oh cool mm-hmm. yeah well segue time how about the cast Let's start with Bill Buell and Victoria Clark as Edgar and Alice Bean. Sure. This was... Uh, I really loved their chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that they had a very, very interesting dynamic going for them. Honestly, it was the coupling that I thought felt the most natural, the most sort of unforced. And I'm not, I'm not really going to say that any of the couplings felt like forced-forced here, but it's the one where I felt like their story was the most derived from actual circumstances on the boat. They had a history um, together, a lived history yes. that you felt on stage. Absolutely. Um, they worked fantastically together. Independently, they both sounded fantastic. That Their their song that they have together is really the danced. highlight of the night. Mm-hmm. I Have Danced. Uh, she, well, she had danced. He had not danced. I Have Danced is really a fantastic moment, and I think performed by someone less capable uh, would have been a lot more boring. So I'm grateful for the heart they brought. Yeah. I have to say, I actually 
if we're talking about character development and character that moved me, I have danced moved me the most. Be and it, it sure. is specifically Victoria Clark. You can see why she's going to go on and win a Tony. Um, it was just heartbreaking to see and get the sense that she wants so much more than what her life is and the other her husband really is not able to give her that and does not understand what she wants yeah very interesting dynamic it's just i don't know there was a yearning about it that felt painful something that felt painful and wasn't oh i'm gonna die tomorrow yeah <laughs> you know I, I appreciated that. <laughs> uh, I thought they were both great. Yeah, they 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 served their part excellently. Moving on. Next, we have... I'm going to deal with them both at once. We have Martin Moran as Harold Bride, and we have Brian Darcy James as Frederick Barrett. Uh, yes, Brian Darcy James giving a fantastic, fantastic impression of John Cameron Mitchell in The Secret Garden. <laughs> oh, Winter's on the mean. wing, here's a fan spring morn. What did you think of them? Um, they had the song The Night Was Alive together, which... Um, yeah, which had this... A lot of people love, and I believe the YouTuber Aurora Spider-Woman wrote that she thought it was about the finest musical theater song in recent memory. I thought the dit dit dot dit was goofy. Anyway, um, I guess we can talk about it together. Uh, Martin Moran, uh, Moran, I just uh, thought was good. He had a he had a good amount of dialogue, mostly comedic, and I thought he sold that really well. And he sang well. It was a fine performance that I liked. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have Brian Darcy James here, who. This is the first time I've realized who a performer was in the middle of a performance. Um, so you really, really went in knowing nothing, nothing, nothing. Had no idea who was in the cast. Uh, I just, I just knew of, I, I, I knew about one performer in this company, and he was out. We'll get to him. Um, <laughs> but he has his, you know, his first song, and he's performing it, and I'm watching it, and slowly by slowly, I'm going, this guy's pretty good. Oh, this guy's like pretty good. This guy sounds like. This totally reminds me. Is, is that. Is that. Is that Brian. That's Brian Darcy James right there. Like, that was literally how it unfolded. And I was really, really? proud of myself for, like, discovering Brian Darcy James in Titanic. Well, Brian Darcy James is very grateful you discovered him. Otherwise, how would he have gone on to play Shrek? How else would he have gone on to win his Zero Tony Awards? Oh, that's a, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. I highlight it because it needs to be fixed. He should not well, to make light because it is a problem that needs immediate attention. He should have won a Tony for next to normal, but he didn't open the show. Yeah. And if he had, he would have the Tony. I, I yeah, firmly without question. believe that firmly without. Believe no, that's that. not even a question. Mm -hmm. Um, I think could have gotten it for Sweet Smell of Success, but what are you going to do anyway? Is this the third time we're covering Brian Darcy James? Yes, wild party, sweet smell, success. This, fuck, we is have he, to do Shrek. <laughs> is he our most reviewed actor on the podcast? I don't know. He might be. Well, well no. Let's, let's we've take done Patty a thrice. We've done Patty. We've done thrice. Patty thrice. Okay. Uh, who else? So at least tied. Who else have we really gotten a lot of? We've done let's Rosie see. twice. 
Yeah, who'd have thought? Um, oh, uh, how many times have we done Beth level? Twice? Ooh, we had her in Gypsy. We had her in Drowsy Chaperone. Three, thrice, and thrice. what else do we have her in? We had her in No, 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 Not. So, yeah. yeah, as well, that's where Rosie also was. Is it really the three club? The club of threes. Like, SNL has the five-timers club. We have the three-timers club. <laughs> so, Brian Darcy James officially joins the three-timers club with Titanic. And it wasn't anything intentional. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, we, that's actually an important. He snuck in. <laughs> that is an important distinction to make. He was not part of one of our events. He was not in any production right. of Gypsy. Right. And the other two right. got Holy in because shit. we covered Gypsy. So he is Damn. the. He's the first one to really earn this. He is the first one who has uniquely landed on the podcast three times, and you know, we have not specifically gone out looking for him in any of the three times. Yeah, which I think is fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I will now give. I my will say opinion. as well as well. I don't know real quick if we're going to discount two performances of the same production, but if we are, I think Bernadette is also in the club. It's an odd group, uh, but Brian Darcy James has the distinction of being the only person to achieve three first status without being a part of an event. Right, which is an acclaim and will be awarded. Brian Darcy James, did you like him? Yeah, let me give my opinions. I thought Martin Moran was really sweet here. Uh, you know, it really kind of gave the, the people working these ships, some of them are just kids who thought they were going out to see the world for the first time. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really touching. Um, Brian Darcy James kind of has the most to sing because he has Barrett's song and then he has the duet. And then he has the finale. And then, yeah. And he also, uh... How did they build Titanic near a thousand? So he yeah, true. probably is the most vocally significant member of the cast. He sings well. I'm um, not mad. You know, he's not given the most to act, but he never lets you down. It's a solid performance. I think it's generally hard to go wrong with a Brian Darcy James performance. He does very well here. He holds his own incredibly. His voice is very strong. And he does give you a very compelling and very felt portrayal of this character. Mm-hmm. I I just like these kind of like you know northern scousy accents <laughs> in general. So that just might be improving my opinion of this character. <laughs> All right, moving on. Sure, we have David Garrison as Bruce Ismay the owner of this ship, and we have John Cunningham as Captain E.J. Smith. What did sure. you think of them? I liked them both very much. Um, it was extremely clear that Ismay was meant to be set up as the antagonizing force mm-hmm. of the show. It's very clear that the show pretty much tries to pin the blame as much as it can on a person, and that person is Ismay. And to his to David Garrison's huge credit, he does not play this like a mustache twirling villain. He plays this as something infinitely more terrifying, a capitalist. Yeah, it really is just like a full on a business dude going. Um, we want to make it impressive. Uh, in, in, increase this and increase this because we want this impression, and that's what's gonna happen. So do it. Which is pretty fucking terrifying. You see all the humanity stripped. You disagree. You don't support the company. Why are you not being a company player? Yes. 
Oh, God. Oh, God. Did that ring a bit too true for you, too, Dan? What did you think about uh, Ismay's performance? I... He was appropriately despicable. Absolutely. Um, And your thoughts on the captain? I did not like the characterization of the captain within the show itself. I thought the show made the captain too much of a pushover and not active enough. Um, I thought that John Cunningham was a commanding presence, but I did not like the overall direction the character was given within the writing itself. Sure. What did you think of him? I thought he gave a fine performance. He seemed commanding enough to be a captain. And he did seem passionate about his work. I don't think the material gave him a hell of a lot to do other than bark orders. He did have one... He had two nice scenes in the show. One at the beginning where he's sort of going, I'm retiring, you know? Which is, again, another one of those, Oh, this is my, that is my true. last one. So this I am sorry. That is go. 100% true. He had put in his notice. This was his very last... And- I know trip he was going to make and it was going to be the point i'm making here is that truth is stranger than fiction well it was going to be a crown jewel in a long sailing uh career and he was the most commanding captain in the entire ocean fleet across several different companies and the big shock here was if captain smith couldn't buck an iceberg we are all fucked up we are all (laughs) fucked over so he had that nice moment where he's sort of talking about how he's about to retire, and then at the end he has the moment of, you know, the captain going down with the ship, the whole, you know, this was my decision, I've made this bet, I've got to lie in it. Um, and those two moments, I think, were the only parts of the material that he really had the opportunity to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did those scenes fantastically, and he played the character of the captain with a lot of authority. And so he, for me, he hit everything he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And that leaves us with someone who will also be joining our three fur club, someone who also has the distinction of not being a part of any event and yet still achieving three fur status, Michael Server. Oh, Michael Servers. Oh. oh God, check the call board. So this is an interesting story. As happens when you see these videos, people list it with information. And just about every piece of information you will see about this video lists Michael Serverus, and then you watch the video, and then you realize, oh, that doesn't... It kind of sounds like Michael Serverus, but it doesn't really but, sound but like Michael Serverus. when did he get Cerveris. hair plugs? Yeah, yeah, this is a very interesting wig choice for Michael Serverus. I mean, it looks very realistic. It looks like a nice and then And then you watch the press reels of Titanic, and you see that they never gave Michael Serverus a wig. Mm-hmm. And then you go to YouTube and look up Mr. Andrew's vision on YouTube, and a lovely poster says, This isn't Michael Serverus. It is Matthew Bennett, who understudied the role of Andrews during the first two years, and then took over completely after Cerverus left the show. Well, this is and, hearsay. And, and this is hearsay um, because, you know, people can come along and they can comment on anything and people are still listing Michael Cerverus as in this video. But then you scroll down on the YouTube comments of this Michael Cerverus, <laughs> Mr. Andrew's vision video, and oh my god, there's the official YouTube account of Michael Cerverus saying that the poster that said it was the understudy is correct. Michael Cerverus himself self-confirmed it is not him in this video so he will not achieve three first status and let this be a lesson to 
everybody, when you miss the show, sometimes you miss the bootleg. And so if you want to be in the bootleg, maybe don't call out. Because there is one bootleg that actually exists of this production. There is one video of the original Broadway production, mm-hmm. and then there is one video of the much-reduced touring production. And there will only oh. ever be one video of this Titanic that is available to the public, and Michael Cerverus can't be found. So Matthew Bennett, though, who we do have, what did you think of him? First of all, way to way to really undermine Matthew Bennett here. Um, Michael Servers called out, and he wasn't here, and he's ruined his chance, and he, we we hate him, and this was his moment to shine, and he flopped it. Anyway, who's this schmuck who's here instead? I have to say, I think he gave the best performance in the show, Michael Bennett. The I understudy. agree with you. I agree yeah, with you. I was not disappointed. I mean, I was disappointed because I've sung Michael Service's praises f- for way too long on this show, to be honest. Um, yeah. But I thought that Bennett was just terrific. I thought he gave the most detailed acting of the cast. I thought it was a great level of vocalism. And I thought he was a very interesting presence on the stage. Different and identifiably different from everybody else. Very, very true. He had a voice that I love. I really, really love his voice. He inhabited this character perfectly. And fuck, his performance was just compelling. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really interesting. I really hooked on to it. Yeah. F- uh, raves for me. Yeah, he was terrific. Would not have been able to tell he was an understudy. Absolutely. So that's um, the cast of Titanic. I have to say overall there were a lot of people that we didn't cover and it's a pretty stacked cast ultimately what i want to get across is the fact that this is really just an immaculate ensemble like really there are 40 people on that stage and not a single person let the hole down yeah there are no noticeable weak links mm-hmm. which always holy happens. shit that's an achievement there There's there are weak links in uh, six person link. companies uh-huh. in six person companies there are weak links here you've got 40 not a single one is sticking out that's nope. nothing but an accomplishment yep so i guess that rounds up to us talking about this video let's talk about the video i thought it was fine I thought, uh, you know, for the age, I thought it was very good. Yeah. I thought it, it, it had um, an excellent sound. Sound I thought was very good. I think um, there was it was interesting how much washout there was as well as how little washout there was. Like when the like mm-hmm. I would say about half of it was pretty significantish washout, but the other half was really crystal clear. Yeah. Yeah. And Which is impressive in its own right. Uh-huh. I think it has to do mainly then with the lighting design and how much... Because people did know certain parts of the show were extremely dark, and people had issues with the lighting design in general in person in the theater. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the two was causing washout issues, but the other part it was fine. I was shocked at how much of the show was crystal clear. Yeah, I think it's an A-. minus. Yeah, I'd give it an A minus, a high A minus actually, because sure, okay. that sound is immaculate, and especially for a VHS, that never happens. There's there wasn't any buzzing, that's unusual. <laughs> True. So yeah, A minus, and as for the show itself, Titanic. You please start this conversation. What are you going to grade Titanic? B. Yeah. It will never be one of my favorite shows 
there is a lot to appreciate, there is a lot to like, but ultimately I'm not completely satisfied. I'm going to give it a B minus, knowing full well I would have given it a C plus before this conversation. Oh, well, that's interesting. No, I could Kanye. Yeah. Um, and on a very somber note, the most mm. important question that must be asked: Had Titanic hit the iceberg head on, would they have stayed afloat long enough to be rescued? That's the question. That that question is sort of posed in the show a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, they do reference it in the show, and it is regularly a question. The idea being that if you hit the iceberg head-on, you would have only flooded about three watertight compartments, and the ship was designed to float with four watertight compartments full. So the idea is then the Titanic definitely would not have been able to make it into New York, but you could have gotten the people off of the ship. Yeah, probably. So the, the, the answer to that probably is... I be- yeah, I believe so. Some scientists think otherwise. Yeah? I'll, I'll look into that. I'm curious now. Well, that wraps up an intense and thorough discussion uh, well, not Not thorough. I have many other questions about this ship, but you don't want to Okay, well, those. you will have to take that up separately. But that wraps up our discussion of Moriesten's musical titanic do you think they could have shown the ship uh splintering and uh breaking in half as she sank um no i mean the answer is obviously no (laughs) no i'll think about this i'll get back to you um and now wrapping this journey up we got onto the lifeboats i swam a little bit on top of the door don't know why it took me so long to remember the word door. Uh, we were yeah, saved. Yeah, it's a pretty common one, I think. We were saved, and we are back in the New York Harbor. And if I move my microphone two feet, I'm sure you will hear the horns and the sirens of New York. Uh, uh-huh. So now that we have landed, where to next? Wait, hold on. Sorry. Dan, is it just me or are you hearing that? Um. You're clicking. Why are you clicking? Okay, so you can hear it too. Well, that's not me. What is it? I don't know. It's It's been a little prominent recently, I guess. I've just been hearing this this ticking sound, you know? Oh, boo. It's ever so... Boo. Ever so, I see co- where you're going. What? That's how, they, that's how they started. Fuck you. <laughs> Why can't I do what they did? And now Come the on. Boom. That's a great now- setup. Now the boom. I see. Now the boom happens. And the boom crunch! Wrong musical. Folks! There's one wicked. We... There's one witch on this podcast. And bitch, it ain't you. There's one wicked on this podcast. <laughs> I do not recognize these adaptations. The book is the only material. <laughs> Screw ya, adaptation. Screw you, John Chu. Um, listen, folks, we at the Unauthorized Critic Circle, I can't believe I'm saying this after an episode of Titanic, but we at the Unauthorized Critic Circle love to keep our finger on the pulse. We love to keep <laughs> things contemporary. And what could be more contemporary than a movie 
that is being released the day the next episode is going to drop. That's right, folks. We are talking about the brand new Netflix adaptation of Jonathan Larson's Tick, Tick, Boom, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring Andrew motherfucking Garfield. I'd be playing it on the piano if I had a piano available to me right now. The movie is about to come out. This is about turning 30, right? I, I, um, long way away from me. Long way away. So I don't know if oh, you uh, Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I, I don't know if you can remember all the way back then. Can you Fuck still relate you. to the Fuck movie? you. You know, I just realized the other <laughs> you day. You knew it was coming. I, I just realized the other day. I don't know if you saw it. I am younger than six. Six different Broadway Evan Hansons. Bam. <laughs> younger. That's not, that's not the highest bar, friend. Yes, it is, because they keep casting them younger, and I'm still younger than them. They get a lot of geezers for the role, guy. (sighs) No, they don't. You know what to do. Check out the movie on Netflix. Come listen to our episode. We're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about some Jonathan Larson works. I'm so surprised that this is... We're getting to this before Rent. Send our audience on their way. Um, you're in your house... We're in your ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in arrears. <laughs> For you, I would do anything. Just listen See you to next week, folks. podcast. Because you know I'm gonna sing. Come to the podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critic Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Titanic. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein.